This episode of Riveting Reads is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. We already know you guys like good stories. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash rivetingreads and browse their unmatched selection of audio programs. Download the one that grabs your attention for free and start listening. It's that easy. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash rivetingreads to check it out. Now on to the show. Hello, and welcome to the Riveting Reads podcast, where each season brings you a serialized version of thrilling new stories along with exclusive bonus content from the author. This is season one, Insomnia, book one of the Nightwalker series by J.R. Johansson, narrated by Roy Samuelson. New episodes are posting weekly on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Stick around after today's chapter for some author insights into the writing process behind this chapter with Insomnia's author, J.R. Johansson. Hi, I'm J.R. Johansson, and I'm here to give you a quick recap of episode 10, chapter 10 of Insomnia. At the beginning of this episode, Parker is working out his stress at a soccer field near his house because he didn't make eye contact with Mia and knows he's not going to sleep that night. Mia runs into him on her way home from practice and ends up asking him to leave her alone. They have the bonfire pep rally on Rush Beach, where it is really clear how divided Parker is from his friends. Finn and Addie were both at the pep rally, and while they each spent time with Mia, neither of them were speaking to Parker. In a desperate attempt to make eye contact with Mia before she leaves, Parker ends up in a confrontation with Thor and Jeff. Just before he leaves the pep rally, Parker sees the guy with the leather jacket far down on the beach with his feet in the water. And that's it for your recap of chapter 10. Stick around now for chapter 11 of Insomnia. I hope you enjoy. Insomnia, The Nightwalkers. Written by J.R. Johansson. Narrated by Roy Samuelson. 11. Over the past three weeks, I had gotten more sleep than I had in years. Mia wasn't exactly making it easy, but it was worth the trouble. I'd awaken with my mind filled to the brim with images and memories from my own dreams, which I hadn't been capable of for years. I felt whole in a way I'd never believed possible. Funny dreams, bizarre dreams, even nightmares. I loved every one of them. Mia had opened up a new world for me, a world of my own creation and she didn't even know about it. My dreams didn't show me problems I couldn't fix. They didn't fill me with emotions I wasn't prepared to deal with. My dreams happened and then went away. They were temporary, fleeting, relaxing. Seeing the fluidity and randomness of my own dreams confirmed my theory that when I was watching the dreams of others, I was stuck in some more realistic layer. Really, it wasn't surprising. My brain was technically awake. My conscious mind was finding the slot with the most reason and stuffing me into it, the layer that it could force into some box that made sense and, at least partially, obeyed laws of nature. I hopped out of bed and smiled at the fading circles under my eyes in the mirror on the back of my door. Life with sleep was incredible. I could think. I could focus and most of the bad memories and nightmares I had witnessed in other people's heads were fading away. Even my coordination was better, all thanks to Mia and her incredible dreams. Outside of the dreams, things with Mia weren't at all pleasant. 
That first week, she had been annoyed at how I'd waited outside her last class every day, and she hadn't been afraid to tell me so. But ever since the bonfire, she had stopped telling me off and just tried to get away from me as quickly as possible. The mere sight of me seemed to scare her now. I tried not to make it worse than it had to be. I'd meet her eyes and then leave. The less complication, the better. Flopping down at my desk to gather my stuff for school, I glanced up and saw my sixth grade soccer picture hanging on the wall. Finn was grinning so wide I swear I could almost see every one of his teeth, and he had one arm flung around my shoulder. I missed him, but every time I thought about apologizing, I realized how much easier it was to see Mia's dreams when Finn wasn't around to distract me. That alone had made the decision to stay away from Jeff's soccer practices and Finn an easy one. Reaching up, I took the picture down and stuffed it in one of my desk drawers. I didn't want to think about him right then. I hadn't talked to Addie either, though somehow it had been harder to stay away from her. In fact, everyone at school seemed to be giving me a pretty wide berth lately. I knew that was a bad sign, but it didn't matter. I ignored them, along with the voice inside my head that kept telling me this was wrong. Pushing it deeper into my subconscious was easy when everything inside me felt so much more alive. Shaking off the doubts, I jumped in the shower. I had slept, and it was wonderful. That was all that mattered. The next day, after barely managing to make eye contact with Mia at the end of school, I stood in a bathroom stall, waiting and listening. Once the halls were silent and I thought everyone had gone, I snuck out the side doors to the parking lot, keeping my head low and my sunglasses on. I couldn't risk making eye contact with anyone else on the way out. I had almost reached my car when Matt ran into me in the parking lot, hard. My backpack fell off my shoulder and my sunglasses went flying and broke against the asphalt. Oops, Matt barely controlled his laughter. If it didn't require looking at him, I might have punched him. I regretted it when it had happened with Finn, but with Matt, I wouldn't even think twice about it. Not cool, man, I muttered without a glance in his direction. Pulling my backpack up, I left my shades where they were and kept walking. Just a few more feet and I could get away from this moron. Get away without risking my night of sleep in Mia's dreams. That was my only goal at this point. I stumbled as Thor's hulking frame stepped in front of my car door. He caught my shoulders with both hands, but he did it so roughly I could feel the bruises down to my bones. Red-hot anger boiled inside my chest, and I jerked my head up to find myself staring into his small, dark eyes. Shit. Matt stepped up beside us and laughed. He didn't want you to fall. I'm not sure what made me more furious, them giving me a hard time or the fact that Thor had forced me to meet his eyes. I brought both elbows up as hard as I could and broke his grip on my shoulders. A low growl erupted from his chest, but he stepped aside when Matt waved him off. Watch yourself, Parker, Matt said as I climbed in and started the car. I drove aimlessly for a while, needing to be moving to think. This was just perfect. If I didn't want to see a dream featuring my decapitation, not exactly at the top of my to-watch list, then I needed to find a way to see Mia again. Tonight. Slamming my forearm against the steering wheel, I kept driving. This wasn't going to be easy. 
Her reactions bothered me, but not enough for me to change anything. It wasn't my fault that I had to go to such extremes to get the sleep everyone else took for granted. My curse controlled me. It wasn't my choice. I was pretty sure Mia would be working at the mall tonight. Glancing around, I couldn't suppress a shudder. With my aimless driving, I had managed to go straight to her. I was a block away from the mall without even consciously deciding to go there. Whether I wanted to resist or not, her dreams kept me coming back. Every night, they amazed me. Each setting was more beautiful than the one before, each equally worth painting. Yet, she never touched her paintbrush to the canvas, every time looking just as frustrated. I got the feeling that if her sadness hadn't been dimmed by her strange dreams, it would have been impossible to even breathe under the weight of it. I wished I could do something to help her, especially if her sadness and frustration were somehow tied to reality. Even unknowingly, she'd helped me more than I could have ever imagined. Pulling into a nearby fast food joint, I killed some time eating dinner and playing games on my phone. When there was just an hour until the mall closed, I drove slowly through the parking lot, searching up and down the rows for her purple pickup. Once I saw it, I parked my car a few spots away. Leaning back in my seat, I rolled down my window, turned on some music, and propped my feet up on the dash. There were worse ways to spend an evening. Besides, she was worth the wait. Just as I was relaxing, a black motorcycle blew past my car and parked near the front of the lot. I sat up straight when I recognized the rider with his black leather jacket, the same guy I had seen a few times before. It was getting dark, but under the bright lights I noticed a patch on the right shoulder of his jacket that I hadn't been close enough to make out before. It looked like a pirate skull, but instead of one eye patch, it wore two, one over each eye. My skin crawled, and I had a vivid flash of memory. My dad standing in his room with me bouncing on the bed. He had chuckled and asked me to hand him his wallet. When I grabbed it off the nightstand, I saw the same skull, two eye patches carved into the well-worn leather. I had asked him what it was. I could still hear his rich voice echoing in my head. It's to remind me about people. What about them? Taking the wallet. He had stuffed it in his back pocket before lifting my chin until I looked into his eyes. That a blind skull sees more than you think. The memory faded, and I drew in a shaky breath. It had been a long time since I had thought about spending time with my dad. The jagged pain in my chest was the reason why. Leaning out the window, I tried to see the rider's face, but he didn't take his helmet off until he was walking through the mall doors and out of sight. I should know who he was. He obviously went to school with me. I had seen him at two school events in just the last month. But I just couldn't identify him, at least not without seeing his face. The patch probably wasn't important, just a symbol of some old band or something, but still, I needed more information. I vowed to pay more attention at school the next day, see who had the jacket with the blind skull. Pushing him out of my mind, I focused on what really mattered, Mia. I turned up the radio and tried to bury my memories of Dad under a heavy drumbeat and wicked guitar solo. When she finally appeared, the parking lot was nearly empty. She carried a small silver purse and swung it around, singing softly to herself. I waited, 
trying not to feel like a cat ready to pounce. I stepped out of my car as she approached and moved between her and the truck. Raising my hand, I waved. The moment she saw me, she froze. Her terrified expression told me I shouldn't have come. She swallowed hard, then reached in her purse. I have p pepper spray? Her voice shook so hard it was difficult to understand her. Whoa, I just wanted to say hi. I took a step back, but then stopped. I wanted to leave her alone, but she was looking down. I wasn't certain I had met her eyes. I had to be sure. Why couldn't she just give me what I needed? I had never seen anyone look so scared. No, actually I had. Agnes had had the same kind of fear in her eyes that Mia's held now. Was I no better than that loser husband of hers? If I had nightmares now, I knew what they would be about. Frustration, anger, fear, and guilt flowed through me. I wanted to comfort her and force her to meet my eyes at the same time. An idea infected my mind like a parasite. If I had brought a weapon, this would be simpler. It might make her do what I wanted. I choked back the bile that rose in my throat. I was disgusted at myself, but the desperate need drove me on. Fighting the urge to look away, I stepped closer. Mia, please, calm down. She gasped and thrust her hand back and forth in her bag, searching for something, probably the pepper spray. I stopped where I was, and she finally looked up. Her eyes were so filled with terror that I flinched, but something dark inside me took over. It didn't allow me to even glance away. It made sure I got a solid look in her eyes before releasing me. Okay, I'll go. I didn't mean to scare you. My legs felt wobbly as I retreated to my car. Even as I left the parking lot, I could see her small form in my rearview mirror. She put her face in her hands and trembled from the top of her head to the heels of her boots. I parked around the corner. The car felt stuffy and claustrophobic. I dragged myself outside and took a few ragged breaths. My fingers tugged on my hair and I banged my fist against the roof of the car. Battle lines were being drawn in my head. How could I choose which side to take? Hardly a fair conflict. My life or her fear? Part of me argued that it wasn't Mia's fault. Why should she suffer because of my problems? Another part of me raged about the situation. Anything I did was justified. I had been calmly awaiting my terrifying future for so long. Who could blame me for seizing an opportunity to avoid it? Was it my fault I had been forced to such drastic measures to stay alive? Sleep wasn't optional. I had learned that already. I had to have it. There was no way out of this situation, and every time I bent a rule, the darker part of me broke it in half. I could feel it now, could see where it had come from. It was the part of me that had kept me sane when I had developed my curse, had helped me deal with dad leaving and mom working all the time, the part that helped me survive through nightmare after nightmare. But it didn't care about anyone else just about keeping me alive. Each step I took that I wouldn't have taken before seemed to strengthen the instinct. It cared about survival, and only survival. Any moral problems weren't a consideration. I didn't want to give in to that. I didn't want to be that guy. But if I stopped, I would die.
No matter how much I hated myself for it, my life was still more important than her fear. She would live through being afraid sometimes. I would die without her dreams. Maybe this could be good. Mia might fear me, but I could watch over her. Walking through an empty parking lot at night all by herself, she could run into someone much more dangerous than me. If I made sure she was safe, it could make up for any pain I caused. I could keep her out of any real danger. After all, I wouldn't physically hurt her. I dragged in a few more deep breaths, and the war within me stilled. It only bothered me a little that I wasn't sure which side had won. We'll dive right back into the story after this short break. This episode of Riveting Reads is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with the 30-day trial membership. The audiobook I'd like to recommend this episode is The Young Elites by Marie Lu. The Young Elites is about Adelina, a survivor of the Blood Plague. Cast out by her family, Adelina has finally found a place to belong within the secret society of Young Elites. To some, the Elites are heroes, here to save innocents in desperate situations. But to the Inquisition Axis, the white-robed soldiers of Kenetra, they are monsters with demonic powers who must be brought to justice. As Adelina learns more about this perilous world where politics and magic clash, she soon realizes that her own powers may be in danger of bringing on an era of panic such as the world has never seen. So, whether you decide to go with my recommendation of The Young Elites by Marie Lu, or go with another audiobook of your choice, you can get all set up by going to audibletrial.com forward slash riveting reads. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash riveting reads to get your free audiobook. Hope that was a nice breather for you, because we now continue with Insomnia. The next day, I felt better. I had a plan. It had been a huge mistake to wait for Mia in the parking lot after work. Looking back at the situation, no wonder she had been terrified. My new plan was different. It would work. By the time I found a parking space and climbed out of my car, it was 8.50 p.m., only ten minutes before the mall closed. I tried to contain my smile, still plenty of time to get to her store and do a little shopping. I figured that this way, in public, she wouldn't be so afraid. I could shop around the store, make eye contact, and then leave. I'd even be willing to buy something if it let me meet her eyes without freaking her out. It was a temporary fix. I certainly couldn't go and buy something every day without running out of money, and fast. For now, though, it was the only idea I had. I walked through the front mall entrance and ran right into Mr. Blindskull himself. But now, I could see more than just his old leather jacket. He had spiky brown hair that made him look kind of wild, and muddy brown eyes. He was an inch or two shorter than me, and I had never seen his face in my life. Was he new to the area? Excuse me, he said, looking quickly away as he stepped around me and jogged toward the parking lot. I didn't even have time to apologize for plowing into him, let alone ask him about the blind skull patch before he was out of sight. I shook my head and got back to business. When I got to Mia's store, I was surprised to find it empty. I checked my watch and groaned. It was only a few minutes before closing. The entire mall was pretty much deserted. Making my way inside, I tried to appear casual. I stopped at a rack here and there but my eyes continually scanned for Mia. I'd nearly given up when I made it to an alcove near the back of the store and saw her. 
She had her back to me as she meticulously folded and straightened a table full of jeans. I couldn't help myself. She was so close. I took a step, and she visibly stiffened. Still, she didn't turn, just continued to work. For a moment, I wondered if it was even her. Moving slowly around the table, I caught sight of the side of her face. Definitely Mia. But still, she wouldn't look at me. Half the lights in the store went out. I glanced out into the mall and saw it was the same there. It must have been a signal to remind customers it was time to leave. The sudden dimness made everything a little eerie. I needed to get this over with. I took a deep breath. It really didn't have to be so difficult. Why did she make everything so hard? Without raising her eyes or acknowledging my existence at all, Mia turned and moved to straighten the next table. I cursed under my breath. With the dim lighting and the empty store, this was no better than the parking lot. Except here, she didn't have her pepper spray. With a shake of my head, I grabbed a pair of jeans in my size from the nearest table and stepped forward. Hey, Mia, could you help me with this? She didn't respond. Mia? I reached out and touched her shoulder with the jeans. She whipped up and away so violently that I jumped. Her whole body recoiled like I had struck her. I watched, gaping, as she fell backward into a metal rack. The resounding clang from her head hitting the hard edge echoed in the empty store. Her body crumpled to the floor, and I thought she had knocked herself out until I heard her moaning. She lifted her face toward the ceiling, and mascara-tinted tears rolled down both cheeks. Nausea churned in my gut. I didn't know whether to help her or run away, so I did nothing. I simply stared at the disaster I had created. Over and over, she moaned the word, No. I looked at Mia, at what my actions had caused. She was broken, and it was my fault. I'm... My voice caught on the words. I'm sorry. Let me help you. I mumbled as I took a step toward her. She cried harder wrapping both arms around her knees and burying her face in her jeans. Hey, what's going on here? I turned to see an older man walking back from the front of the store. He had on a black and white striped shirt and a name tag that read, Chad. I, she... Finally, I gave up and closed my mouth. There was no way to explain. Chad stepped around to Mia, touching a blossoming spot of red on the back of her head. I shuddered. He turned on me immediately, grabbing a walkie-talkie from his belt. I'm calling security. Everything had gone so wrong, I was screwed. I glanced at Mia again and found her dark blue eyes resting on me. She flinched when she met my gaze and quickly turned away. I'm so sorry, Mia. Then I ran. Thanks for listening to the Riveting Reads podcast, Season 1, Insomnia. New podcast episodes will be available every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. If you're not the patient type and want the full book now, you can find the audiobook on Audible Podcasts or the paperback version on Amazon. Stick around for some author insights from J.R. Johansson about the chapter featured in this episode. Hi, I'm J.R. Johansson, and welcome to the Author Elite Insights section on Chapter 11. 
Sometimes it is so much easier to see yourself clearly from someone else's perspective. We might be able to understand Parker's reasoning here, but it isn't difficult to see that what he is doing is wrong regardless. There are times in every person's life when they're doing something that deep down, even they may recognize as wrong, but it can take them time to see it clearly. By the end of this chapter, Parker starts to see how bad this is becoming, but it takes a lot for him to accept it because he doesn't want to. Our own desires can really skew our perception, and Parker is a perfect example of that. Finn and Addie are his moral compasses, and they really haven't been on his side for quite a while. That should have been his first clue, and probably the only one he needed. Now that he's beginning to see how wrong he has been, can he fix it? And what will he have to sacrifice to do so? For me personally as a writer, one of my favorite things is being able to create really gray characters. I don't want a perfect character. I want flaws. I want them to be interesting. And Parker is interesting to me because I have been him and I have known him. When you want or you need something, it can be so easy to justify what may need to be sacrificed in order to get it and weighing what is good for others or even what is good in any kind of moral compass in regards to that need or want can be such a hard thing to do. When there's something you want desperately, the urge to satisfy that need can be overpowering, especially when the thing that will satisfy it is right in front of you. And one of the core pieces of our humanity is being able to set aside that urge in order to look at the bigger picture and what is good for other people or for the whole of humanity and weigh that against your own personal need. And Parker has to do that in this chapter. I think exploring where people draw their own personal lines of survival versus morality is very fascinating. Where do you draw your lines? At what point do you turn from someone who's just trying to survive into a monster? If you were him, would you take the same actions? Send me a message, let me know what you think. I'm at JR Johansson on Instagram and Twitter. And that's it for the Authorly Insights section on Chapter 11. If you like what we're doing here, please tell a friend and help us grow the show audience. That will enable us to do more seasons of the podcast in the future, featuring different audiobooks and authors. Thanks for listening. We will not be having a new episode this Wednesday, so we will see you on Friday. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Riveting Reads. Please check out details for our reader appreciation program in the podcast notes or on rivetingreadspodcast.com. Also, a reminder that we're still a new podcast and we would love to hear from you. Please subscribe as well as rating and reviewing in your podcast app. Thanks, and we'll see you in a few days for the next episode.